Welcome to the Contrast Church Podcast. Contrast is located in Grandview, Ohio, with the mission to help people be with Jesus, become like Him, and live out His mission together. For more information on attending our meetings, our missional communities, or giving, visit contrast.church. I would like to say thank you for letting me be in Florida last week. Um, I brought the warm weather, so you're welcome. Uh, I also just want to say a shout out. Thanks for thanks to Nick. Uh, can we just give it up for Nick? Sorry, I just. Uh, if this is your first week, he taught last week. But as you can tell, he's a man of many many skills. Uh, so we're thankful for you. We don't deserve you. So you rock. Um, I had a great time in Tampa. Uh, I met with uh, some of the. I guess they call us thriving pastors. I don't know about that, but uh, some thriving pastors in our uh, network, and we went down to Tampa and. And we just talked a lot about our churches and COVID and uh, if our churches survive that and uh, what we're excited about and moving, in, moving forward into. We also raced really fast go-karts, so that was fun. And one of our pastors there almost died. So uh, it, was, it was day two of his sabbatical. So it was ironic that uh, we were like, we almost just ruined his entire sabbatical. So um, yes, so. But thank you for doing that. It's, it's great to be able to be gone and you guys not miss me, which is, I think, the way it should be. So um, but I'm back. I'm excited. I want to talk about parables. So if you have your Bible already open, Matthew 13, as, uh, as Allison so stoically said, we are still in Matthew. Um, we will be taking a break soon. If you're, if you're looking forward to that, I don't know, or you're sad, but I promise you we will be taking a break soon. Until then, we are still in Matthew. So we're in Matthew 13. Um, Nick had the opportunity last week to talk about the parable of the sower. And uh, as far as I can recall, I, I might be wrong, but this is the first parable we've really talked about in Matthew. And we're going to begin in this section. If you kind of look at your, your, your Bible, the next several chapters are parable, parable, parables. Um, it is what we are getting into. And when we started our nice, beautiful, slow, long journey through Matthew, uh, you can tell on the, on the logos here that we're in part four. So... Matthew, when he writes this, he's blending Mark, uh, a little bit of Luke, and some other things together in a way to communicate to Jewish people at the time that Jesus truly is the Son of God, the Messiah, uh, Yahweh saves. He is all of those things. And he does that in five parts, five teachings similar to the Torah, which is what they, that would have been their rule of life far before. And what he does is he gives you kind of this, this idea in a few chapters. He shows you how it relates to Jesus and what he's doing physically, but then it always is paired with a section or a discourse, is what they would say, of teaching. And we're in that discourse. So the last two chapters, the last several months, if you listen to any of our teachings, what it was all focused on was people's different opinions of Jesus. Was he truly the Messiah? If he was, what was his plan for the kingdom to come and to be among us? And if they, if they didn't, you know, the Pharisees didn't like the culture that he was creating. It was shifting and changing their own comfort, their own world, right? Which none of us are, you know, we, we, we love our world. It's not like we can resonate with them. And... You start to understand, though, at the end of this, now that we're getting into these parables, uh, why, there's, there's this precipice of why Jesus is talking in parables. I don't know if you've ever read parables and been like, yeah, I, you know, why didn't he just, like, say that? Like, why did he have to be all cryptic, right? Like, it feels cryptic sometimes. In fact, there's some parables that I've read, and I was like, I have no idea what this is talking about. And you read commenta- commentaries, and they're like, yeah, you know, kind of this or that, or, you know. And a lot of them have a lot of wisdom in these parables, but... At the end of the day, I think a lot of us would just be like, why can't he just tell us what he wants to tell us? Why is he speaking in these kind of cryptic sayings? And so today we're talking about 
parables, like the overarching understanding of why Jesus communicates in parables, because last week was a parable, the next several weeks are parables, and uh, I want us to understand what Jesus is doing here. And that's why the context is needed, right? He's getting into displaying the opinions of him through teaching. So the last two chapters, we have people who didn't like him, we have people who did like him, but just liked him for his stuff. We have people who truly wanted to enter into his kingdom, right, to choose Jesus' kingdom over their own kingdom. And then we have the disciples who are following him. And, and so the question that I think everyone's asking is, why are some people hesitant, resisting the kingdom? Why are they not like, I'm into this. This is awesome. This is great. And, and I think, you know, I, I, one of the questions that I was, I was thinking about, like, is if we have this good news, this gospel, this message is good, and it's presented by the Messiah that they were all waiting for, right? Why is it not just being, like, fully welcoming? Why is there such opposition? And that tension that we feel in that very question is what Jesus is going to slowly explain throughout the parables that he talks about. The very kingdom that he's talking about will become more realistic in these parables. Some of these parables, last week we talked about the varied nature of the hearers, the listeners, meaning there was these different soils and people, depending on what environment of the soil they were in, would affect their heart's ability to understand what Jesus was communicating. There's other parables that we'll read in the next few weeks uh, that talk about the very nature and power of the message, of the gospel, of what it does in our lives if it truly roots in our hearts. And there's other parables that, that talk more about this relationship and this kind of chasm between the world and the kingdom and how the two of them really don't coexist very well in a good way because the kingdom of Jesus is, is fully against the sin and the nature of, of our, our brokenness in the world. So he's kind of giving us another picture of this kingdom and what it looks like and why people are choosing and hesitant against it. But at the end of the day, these parables, if you're writing down notes, I think it's going to be a slide, but all of these parables are to help followers of Jesus be less naive in our expectations and to strengthen our ability to share the kingdom with others, even amidst disappointment and opposition. Think about that just for a second. The parables, I, I would argue these parables in the next two chapters-ish, are, are really about encouraging those who get it to get it even more. And we're gonna, he's going to say something very similar in a second. But those, those who get it, who understand the good news, to be strengthened in that, but also to, to understand there's a reality uh, of, of bad soils. One of the things, uh, one of the pastors in our network that I was at has said, and I don't think he even realized he thought it was profound, but I thought it was, is one of the things he was giving a tip as a church planner was, hey, the other, the other three soils are real. <laughs> you know, like three out of four aren't good. You know, the path, no good. Thorns, no good. Rocks, also no good. Looks good at first, but then no good, right? Like they're real, right? Now, the good news about the good soil is that it produces 30 to 60 to 100 times its normal yield. So we know that the few faithful people who are following Jesus well will have radical change in the world. But you cannot downplay the fact that Jesus is communicating to a crowd of people that, that might not really have any have a care what he what he's to say. So as we, as we get into parables today, I want to set the scene. I, I pulled the best photo I could of this situation of where Jesus is. Um, you know, I don't know, this might be out of a movie, but it's amazing how many terrible photos there are of this scene. But this is a modern-day amphitheater. Uh, for us, if you like, think of an amphitheater at a park, this is what uh, they'd be doing. The waves seem a little intense, but the Sea of Galilee typically was not that intense. I don't even know if they're filming this because this looks a little too big, but it's a movie, so, you know, budget and stuff. Um, so Jesus is basically sitting on a boat, probably a fishing boat of some sort. His disciples are on the boat, and then there's crowds of people listening 
on the bank. The acoustics, if you've ever been on water, like if you've ever been on like a boat party or something, I don't know, uh, you can hear everyone. It's crazy how much you can hear other people uh, because the, the, your voice carries far over water as long as it's not like crazy waves and stuff like that. And the sea would be pretty still. And so he's teaching the disciples in such a way, though, that he's, he's loud enough that people are absorbing what he's talking about. It's similar to the Sermon on the Mount that we've talked about, but a little bit different. So you picture him sitting here for the next several weeks. Like, he's sitting here and he's teaching these parables. He's stirring up the hearts of people. And when we talk about parable, you probably want to know, like, what is a parable, right? Because that's not, I don't know if he's talking parables. But I'm going to give you kind of the scholarly definition, but I think it's super helpful. A parable is an utterance which does not carry its meaning on the surface, meaning when you read it at face value, it can be a little bit cryptic, and which thus demands thought and perception if the hearer is to benefit from it, thought and perception. Learning from and responding to a parable is not a matter of simply reading off the meaning from the words, but, ready, entering into an interactive process to which the hearer must contribute if true understanding is the result. Can you guys say interactive process? Interactive process. You see what I just did there? Interactive process. You're welcome. <laughs> it, it is an interactive process, right? The word of God is words on a page, but there is life into it. Jesus is really showing us in this very essence of parables that this is the way that we should read the scripture, that it is an interactive process. In fact, a lot of times you'll see people who maybe are like agnostic or atheist, they post these like bumper sticker verses, right? And they're like, this is ridiculous. And then I'm just like, context, you know, like understand the context. And it drives me nuts, right? But like, we're all guilty. We read these parables. And we're like, I got no idea what that's saying. You know, like, I, and, it, and it's clearly there's a level of, of depth that we should find ourselves seeking after if we really believe this changes our lives and guides our lives. And, and a parable is an interactive process. A parable, they say, is not an easy option for understanding, but a challenge to which not everyone will be able to rise. Remember, again, the narrative. Jesus loves all, but not all are going to hear him. And we forget that sometimes. Like, there is this massive chasm of pride where people will hear the exact same words that, that people find life and truth and, and turn them into destruction and, and, and they hate them and all that. Parables without interpretation, which is all that are offered to the crowds, remember the people on the, on the shore in this teaching, will thus result in, a, uh, result in a divided response depending on what degree of understanding and openness each hearer brings to them. So set, that sets the playing field for parables. And so I, I simplified this long uh, commentary. A parable is a cryptic illustration that requires the interaction of the listener to determine the true meaning. So when you read a parable... It should be, in some essence, a little bit difficult to understand. Now, the question we're all thinking, like I said before, why is Jesus doing this? Why is he being cryptic? If he has true life and salvation for all people, why is he making it hard to understand, right? In fact, some of you probably have wondered that. Like, you know, we have teachers and pastors who come up, and you're like, I have no idea what they were saying, you know? And, and the accessibility of the gospel is incredibly important. When you share with your neighbor, you want them to understand it, Right? You would think, I don't want to be cryptic. I don't want to be, you know, confusing. I want to be really clear. But there is a nuance and a depth to understanding this. Like, when people raise their hands and follow Jesus, I would like them to know what they're fully getting into. And Jesus here is giving us a massive buckshot, all these different pieces of what the kingdom looks like, feels like, the power of it, how it affects your heart, what your heart posture must be like to receive it, all these type of things that give us a deeper understanding. 
And so in Matthew 13, 10, if we're, get, we're getting, finally getting to our passage here, the disciples are thinking the exact same thing that we are. Like, why are you being cryptic? They say literally, then the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to them in parables? <laughs> They're like, why are you being so cryptic? Why not spell things out? Nick's teaching was unique because uh, it was funny. We were, we were talking about it a few weeks before, and, and he was like, uh, oh, it's funny. I was reading the parable of the sower, and I was like, oh, i got to kind of try to figure out what all the soils mean. And then you skip 10 verses down, and Jesus is like, here's what it means. And you're like, oh, that's great. Thank you, Jesus. Like, you explained one for me, right? Like, great. And so the disciples have, you know, he's explaining to them certain things that they don't understand, uh, but he's not doing that to the crowds. And the disciples are like, why are you being like this? Why are you being cryptic? Would not the God of the universe who loves all of us be so straightforward about what he's communicating, right? If it's truly freedom and hope for the world. And so Jesus replies, and he does give us an answer, thankfully. Sometimes he leaves us in attention. Sometimes he gives us an answer. He does give us an answer. Verse 11, he replied, You have been given the opportunity to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but they have not. For whoever has been given more and will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is a really hard, uh, really miscon- misconstrued verse. Like It's this idea of kind of the prosperity of if I... If I, if, I, if, I, if I do something, I'll receive more, right? God will always be exponential to what I'm doing, right? And we feel the same way, apparently, with bad. If you do bad, more bad happens. And at the end of the day, you can, you can argue that philosophically, right, on your own time around coffee. But really what, what Jesus is getting at here is he's talking about the understanding of parables. If you understand them, which the prerequisite for understanding them is like a heart of humility and openness, they will, they will, they will ex, be exponential to the depth and understanding of the kingdom. But if you don't want to, if your heart is against them, they are going to do no good. In fact, they're actually going to cause probably, I would use the best word, is violence to your understanding of life. Think about people who are really frustrated at the church or Christians or, you know, we are hypocritical, so there's a lot of easy things that they can say about us. But have you noticed it, 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 they grow more and more hatred? It separates more and more. The line becomes far more divisive. And it should. If it doesn't, we are living a lie. We are not acting different in the world. We're not living a life that's, that's noticeably different. If we look like everyone else and talk like everyone else and we're, we're just as generous or we're just as um, um, gossipy as everyone else, yeah, there is no difference. Like, Jesus' words do cause division. They cause a split because the kingdom of God is not the same as your own kingdom. And it's good and it shouldn't be that way. Because your kingdom is not okay. <laughs> My kingdom's not okay. There's a, there's a division here. And so he's saying, in, this, in these two verses, he's saying the you is the disciples. It's the people whose openness and humility, and they want to engage with Jesus. They, or Gospel of Mark tells the same story. He calls them literally outsiders. Um, not the movie, but people sitting on the shore. The outsiders, they, they are outside the kingdom. They are not willing to step into what Jesus is offering. And so, literally, Jesus, it's funny how many people say, Jesus didn't, you know, he, didn't, he wasn't, he was here for all. He was. There's insiders and outsiders in this very moment. There are people on the boat, and there are people not on the boat. The only difference is not social status, it's not money, it's not charisma, it's not even intelligence. It is an openness, a hunger, and a heart for the kingdom. That's the only difference. And we get really uncomfortable, and we're like, well, I don't want to ever disbar anyone from Jesus. But we just talked about, in last week, the soils. There are three very real, potent, dangerous soils. And Jesus is going to, I think it's funny that he's talking about the kingdom, but the first few parables of explanation are talking all about our hearts and ability to be receptive toward what he's saying. 
Because he knows when he teaches like this, there will be division. There will be moments of people who will draw them deeper into hating him, wanting to kill him, and there will be people who draw them into deeper understanding of the kingdom. So this, this stark paradox, the disciples who, uh, there are, he says in verse 12, those who are my disciples will be given more, and those who are outside will be further lost. This actually reminded me of a, a passage in Revelation. Yes, we are going to Revelation. Uh, if you want to turn your Bibles to Revelation 3, um, we're only going to be here a little bit, but I think it's fun just when you get the chance to open your Bible to Revelation, right? That's the last book in the Bible. Revelation 3, there is this section where John is seeing the vision of Jesus kind of communicating to him about these seven churches that all have problems. It's actually beautiful. Like, a lot of people are afraid of Revelation for good reason, but um, this vision that Mark has of these seven churches is so prophetic for our world today. Like, if you think the world's falling apart, read the seven churches, and you'll be like, oh, wow, this is no, nothing new is under the sun, right? Like, it's all the same. We're all human, and we all have these problems. And uh, I want to read in verse, I think, 15, starting in chapter 3, verse 15, this is what Jesus is communicating to John about the church of Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. Wow, Trey. Well, all right, here we are. Here we go. Verse 17, because you say I'm rich and you have acquired great wealth and need nothing, but you don't realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Take my advice and buy gold from, my, from me, refined by fire, so that you can become rich. Buy from me white clothing so you can be clothed and your shameful nakedness will not be exposed. And buy eye salve to put on your eyes. Remember eye salve? Jesus does a healing with eye salve. Eye salve on your eyes so you can see all those I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Listen, I am standing at the door and knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into his home and share a meal with him, and he with me. I will grant the one who conquers permission to sit with me on my throne, just as I, too, conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Last verse, 22. The one who has an ear had better listen, had better hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus vomits, spits out, depending on what translation you're reading, the people who are lukewarm. There is division in his parables, in his teaching, in his kingdom, in his way, of life. It makes me kind of nervous because I think the western white suburban church is sometimes very lukewarm. If we're honest. Myself included. We're like, can I raise my hands during worship? Uh, you know, I don't know. Should I give away this thing? Like, should I give that person my time? Should I walk down that street near that homeless person? Right? Like, I mean, these are the things we deal with when people on the other side of the world are being shot right now against, like, basically their own volition. Are, are we lukewarm? Are you lukewarm? Am I lukewarm? Are we lukewarm? The parables have a greater weight when we ask that question, don't they? Verse 13, going back. He says, For this reason I speak to them in parables. Although they do not see, and although they, they hear, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Remember, Jesus just said in Revelation, like, you will find, you'll be able to see Lukewarmness causes blindness and lack of hearing. And so Jesus is giving everybody a responsibility here, right? Like, he really is. He's being pretty straightforward about this. And I think about our own ownership of, of, of this, and I think about, like, um, Francis Chan uses this illustration. 
where he talks about, like, he calls them, like, fat Christians. It's very offensive, but, but it's a very powerful illustration, and it's Francis Chan, so if you don't like him, I'm sorry. But he talks about how, like, have you guys ever seen the movie WALL-E? Anybody seen the movie WALL-E? Okay. Great movie. Love that movie, actually. And, uh, but it's so funny, because, like, the, the humans are, like, big bone fat and sit in these chairs, right? And they don't even chew food. They use Slurpees for everything, because they've just gotten so lazy, and, and, and I, I think about, and Francis Chan is kind of using the idea of, like, we as Christians just want to sit there on our chair and have, like, tray or someone spoon feed us the Bible, right? Like, just until we're just engorged and we have no muscle to actually do the things the Bible instructs us to do. And in the same way here, like, I think Jesus is calling people. There is division, but at the end of the day, the people who truly understand here, they will be given more, right? There is an there is a abundance that will be given because... They are using their muscles. They are not sitting on a chair being fat and lazy and being spoon-fed. They are buying into their very relationship with Jesus on their own. I once heard a rabbi who said this, and it was very provocative. Maybe I'm just being edgy today. I don't know. But he said, he said anyone who calls himself a follower of Jesus and hasn't read the Bible in its entirety is a liar. That's a rabbi who said that, who's Jewish. And, and I was like, mm, that's kind of mean. Like, I, come on, don't call people liars, right? That's mean. But I, I, mean, I don't know if he's wrong. Is he wrong? I don't know. If we stake our entire life on this book, we want other people to stake their entire life on this book, and we don't know what it says. I think we're crazy. You ever, like, send someone an article because you were trying to argue with them? And I did, you, like, the first thing on Google, because it takes, like, a sentence from the article, and it's like, there, my point was right. And then they read it, and they're like, that was not, the article was communicating the opposite. And I'm like, ah, oh, I didn't read the article. Have you ever, it happens to me more than it should, because I'm just trying to make my point right away. Look, first line, so-and-so, whatever. And they're like, yeah, that, did you read it in context? And I'm like, I am just like the guy who posted the Facebook status, where I was like, context, you know? It's, it's, it's ridiculous. It truly is. Now, I'm not saying you need to go to seminary to understand this thing, right? There's people who did go to seminary several times and still can't fully understand some of these things, right? But if you don't care to ask a friend, to read a commentary, to have a study Bible, to like, re, like, like understand how this applies to your entire life. I think you're a liar. If this means, if you give up your life, if you, if you, if you are willing to grab your cross, right, like this should, this should matter. So I want to encourage you, if you've ever felt insecure about these parables, good, like take the challenge. Because if you don't, you're on the other side. Verses 14, he says, And concerning them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, it says, and he's quoting Isaiah here, which he does oftentimes in Matthew, and he says, look, this is exactly how it was going to be. I'm following exactly the, the prophecy in Isaiah. You will listen carefully, yet you will not understand. You will look closely, yet not comprehend. For Here it is. The heart of this people has become dull. You know, it reminds me of dull is Pharaoh's heart. Hardened, right? Like just continues. What happens? His heart becomes more and more and more and more hardened which is what Jesus is saying. Your heart will either become more and more and more and more hardened or more and more and more soft. There is no in-between. They are hard of hearing. They have shut their eyes so they would not see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand Understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. Understand, we talked about last week, those who understand the word and put it into practice, that's Matthew 7, that's Matthew 13. Understand the word means to, to, to in, absorb and to go do. Think about this. Anytime you ever, I remember like, if you have a coach who, like, is mad at you and he's trying to co- coach you and he's like, do you understand? Almost every time he's asking that, the thing he's telling you to understand is what you're going to go do, right? 
Like, if I'm shooting two-handed in basketball, and he's like, hey, you need to shoot with one hand. Do you understand? The implications of me understanding that is I need to go out, and I need to go how to learn how to shoot one-handed. Oh, yeah, I understand, coach. And just keep shooting two-handed. Like, that, I don't. I don't. I can, under, I can listen. I can understand what you're saying. But at the end of the day, I'm not truly understanding. And, and I think that's what we're getting at here. The, the heart is not, it's dull. It doesn't want to understand in such a way that we go and we want to absorb what is occurring. Verse 16, but your eyes are blessed because they see, the disciples. He's saying your eyes are blessed because they see and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. This is Old Testament. These people were praying and yearning and fasting in prayer to see the Messiah, the Son of God, become flesh and to make the world right. They long to see that, but they are not seeing it. And to hear what you hear, but they do not hear it. Our hearts are the priority here. They can be dull, wealth wealth-obsessed, apathetic, comfortable, insecure and anxious. And all of those things create a dull heart. What I think is so encouraging about this, but is still hard, is there is one prerequisite for understanding Jesus' parables, and everybody's capable of it, and that's hunger. Hunger for Jesus. You could also say um, yearning, yearning for Jesus, right? This, like, heart inclination and openness and humility for what he has to say in his kingdom. And it doesn't have anything to do with social status. It doesn't have anything to do with like your, your wealth, your good looks, your disabilities, any of these type of things. And if you forget that, remember the first part of his first teaching to people publicly was blessed are those, right, who have nothing to do with what you think you categorize people in the world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the kingdom, they will inherit the kingdom of God. You see how all this just weaves together, right? It's all one long, beautiful story. And Jesus is reminding us these parables are for the very people who hunger and thirst for me. The people who want to build their own kingdom, who are prideful, who are apathetic, it will only draw them farther away because the basis of the kingdom is, is humility and selflessness in bearing a cross. It only makes sense that they're, it's the antithesis of one another. They are, they are like oil, right? And water, oil and, yeah, oil and vinegar. Water, thank you. Interactive process. <laughs> oil and water. So we, we have this ability here to see and hear what Jesus is communicating. Righteous prophets and people, in verse 17, longed to see what you see. But the people now are not seeing it and are not hearing it. It is not through intellect, but willingness. Remind yourself that. When you read the Bible and you feel discouraged because you're like, I'm not smart enough. I'm not a seminary student. I don't understand. I'm not Trey. I'm not whoever, whatever, right? It is not through intellect, but willingness. There are so many good resources online right now that could teach you the Bible better than I ever could. And they will do it in half the time, which I don't even know why I'm talking right now. We should just play a video, honestly. <laughs> They're free. There is absolutely no reason why, if you're willing, you can't understand the Bible. No reason. The question is, is your heart really care? Is it dull? Or is, does it care? And so I want to I transition into, um, as we close here, um, I want to invite up the band. And we typically do uh, a time of reflection. That's what we call it. You can throw up the slide, Brian. Um, the, the, time, the time of reflection is we do a couple different things. We, if you're not a Christian and you don't follow Jesus or you're, you know, you're in this weird spot, right, maybe, 
uh, you know, we give you time just to reflect. If you follow Jesus, we encourage you to take bread and cup, part of the threefold communion, the Lord's Supper. It's a, it's a reminder of the sacrifice that he's made. Like, that's what we're here doing every Sunday is reminding ourselves of what we need. And uh, then the third option is prayer, which, to be honest, prayer is one of our, D- we have 10 DNA points. The number one one is we believe prayer is of utmost importance. And, uh, you know, we were talking in staff meeting a week or two ago, and we were like, we are pathetic at prayer. In fact, I think the, you, you, I would say America in general is pathetic at prayer because we think we're bulletproof. And, and it's really sad. And sometimes we, we actually need prayer to go pray. Like, we need to have the humility to go ask for prayer. And so I told Nick and Phil Sarah, I said, we just, like, we just got to own it. Like, I don't know what it takes. I, I'm not going to make you do anything you don't want to do. But we have to pray. Like, we truly do. For, there's a lot of things going on in the world we need to pray for. There's a lot of things in your own heart. And so there's three camps from this passage of application that I want to mention. The, uh, asking the question, the simple question, right? Am I hungry for Jesus? Just a simple question. Am I hungry for Jesus? Am I yearning for Jesus? If the answer is yes, for the first time, truly, then we have people who want to pray for, encourage you, and, and be a part of that story. And they're in the back, and they would love to do that. I would love to do that. For the first time, if that's your, like, truly, like, yes. Like, I, I get it now. I want to know what this kingdom really looks like in my life. And then that's for you. If your answer has been yes, and it's continuing to be yes, but maybe it's not like a resounding yes. It's like, uh, I'm kind of uncomfortable with the lukewarm passage, you know? I don't know. I might not be like hot tub heat, but I'm like warm bath water, and, and I need like, I need some help here. Go ask for prayer for that very thing. Because your heart is, you can't change it on your own. You need the spirit. If your answer is no, I am not hungry, let us pray for you, for your heart. If you know someone whose answer would be no, pray for them. If you realize I'm hitting every single person in this room, there's not one of you that can't answer yes or no in some degree. So we have people in the back who are going to pray for you. I will be up here. I'll pray for you. The the person beside you can pray for you if they would like to. I hope so. We're also going to have time for the Lord's Supper, but I want to leave, we're going to leave about, Lucas is going to noodle for about five minutes. So fill it with prayer, fill it with reflection, and then we will resume with one more song. Can you do that? Great. Thank you for listening to the Contrast Church Podcast. To learn more about us and how you can be a part of it, visit contrast.church.